We are Tools in the Shed, powered by Cars Guide, ready to rip into car stuff that has caught our eye this week. I'm James, and with me are Matt. Yeah, g'day. Who's been thinking about the meaning of Japanese luxury. Yeah, I have. As well as fearless editor Mel, who's been looking at the spectacular beating heart of the world's next hypercar hero. Thank you, James. And we'll check in with our favourite South African, Canadian, American boy genius <laughs> in Muskwatch. So stay with us. But first, Mal, it's Aston Martin. It's a particular Aston Martin, and there is something that causes the wheels to go around. So it's pretty spectacular. What's the news? So the Valkyrie, which we've been hearing about for at least two years now, their yep. hypercar, if there's anything beyond hypercar, they'd probably call it it. Anyway, we now know some details about the engine, and it is going to produce 1,000 horsepower, or yep. 746 kilowatts, at 10,500 RPM without turbos. Now, I think, now I want to correct you there. Yeah. 11,100 was the figure I'd seen. That's the red line, James. That's its rev ceiling. Yes. So the yeah. peak, sorry, the peak for power is yep. 10,000 RPM. Yep. yep. 10 and a half, and wow. the red line's yeah. 111. So that's motorbike material right there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it's also going to make 740 newton metres of torque. Mm. Uh, however, at 7,000 RPM. RPM. So it's all up there. Yep. Because as I understand it, part of the you know genesis of the Valkyrie was that Adrian Newey was so frustrated by uh, the limitations of current Formula One regulations, mm. the collaboration between Red Bull and Aston Martin some of them got chatting. He said, why can't we build a car where there are no rules, you know? And, yeah. and, and that makes a great outlet. Letting himself off the leash, as it were. However, yeah. road cars are even more strictly Well, policed. that's true. And, and isn't that part of this engine, that it's A, naturally aspirated, yeah. uh, B, obscenely powerful, but C, compliant with emissions regulations, yes. uh, particularly in Europe, which is yes. extraordinary. I'm not entirely clear how they've done that yet. Mm. Maybe there's some loophole through limited manufacture, but you'd think everyone else would do that too. Yeah. Mm. But uh, the latest number I read is that they're going to make 150 of these, yep. and the Valkyrie itself is going to be road going. It's only the Valkyrie AMR that is going to be track only. Yeah. Uh, wowee. Because I think part of the thinking, or at least I've read this, was to take a three-cylinder engine and multiply it by four in the sense that right. that you can effectively have a three-cylinder engine with about 250 horsepower, um, but then when you collect them all together, you can dial things up such that it groups and adds up to a 1,000. But there could be the, like, let's build this three-cylinder engine. That, maybe it's in the high 200s. Yeah, um, yeah. Similar to what uh, Merck AMG's done with the 2-litre the 4 and the A45. It's actually half the 4-litre twin yep. turbo. yeah. Uh, or even modular. I mean, you could say. a few companies now are thinking about the perfect cylinder. Let's just make mm. that perfect cylinder and then multiply it up according to what capacity we need. It'd be fascinating to see a three-cylinder version of this. But the <laughs> yes, the, yes, it the would. Valkyrie. I love that. I, I got to say, for what it's worth, when I first heard about the Valkyrie, I thought that's valid. Let Adrian Newey off the chain. Fantastic. He'll produce something dramatic. Yep. And boy, has he ever the the, the most recent pics that you see of the car. The back of it looks like some kind of spacecraft. Craft, yeah. it's way up off the ground. It looks more like a catamaran than a car. It's yet another you know? rethink of what a car can look like. Hasn't it's going to be incredible. Hasn't yeah. Aston Martin come on in leaps and bounds since former Nissan boss Andy Palmer took the helm there? They they're now yeah. back to being desirable, back to being exciting, yeah, yeah imaginative. Yep. Yeah, stuff's as well. happening. 
And so, once this thing lands, talk about a halo car. Oh, yeah. You know, it, it, you're right. The design has spiced up. It's yeah. not different iterations of the same look and feel. Aston Martin spread it a little bit around in yeah. terms of They've the design. They've been bold with the evolution of the design of the regular road cars as yeah. well. Yeah. yeah. There's more coming with that, um, the... Zagato? Uh, no, what's the huh? electric brand? I don't know. It was revealed at Geneva this year. Oh, anyway. okay. Not sure. So the electric... Our viewers and listeners brand. will, you know, yeah. club us over the head with that. Don't yeah. They? Yep. <laughs> They're etching their place in the world, yeah. for sure. Yeah. But uh, one fact that I really enjoyed from this week's information is that the crankshaft takes six months to manufacture. To manufacture, yeah. I mean, we, you know, we used to hear back in the 80s wow. how long stuff carbon fibre used to take to form and create, but six months! Yeah, and the good thing mm. is, the you know, the Valkyrie will probably accelerate from zero to 100 in no time. It will just do it. It won't, there won't be any time it's because it'll there. be so fast. It's already there. <laughs> yeah, you've got to before, run up. Before it's even started, you've got another, it's already there. Another car to get on board. But yeah. in terms of the bragging rights, you know, fight where a few years ago you had that wonderful three-way um, cage fight between the Ferrari, the Ferrari, and, you know, uh, a McLaren P1. And, and then the 918, yeah. what a great matchup that was. And here comes the Valkyrie to kind yeah. of put them all in their place. And, then and we're yet to hear about uh, the specs of the Kerr-style hybrid uh, system that's going to go on top of this 1,000 horsepower. Yes. Yeah, and then there's the Mercedes Project yep. One. Project yep. um, one. So there's, you know... Which is totally different in that it's a V6 and it's yeah. taking all the Formula One tech and yeah. pack, packaging it into a you know a sports car format. It's yeah. it's great to see innovation at the very, 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 very high end. It is. <laughs> it is. And it's just fun because it's for other people yeah. that might be in the Middle East, that might be, you know, um, in Russia, yeah. uh, that, that can actually afford to own and run these cars. But it's just fun to be an innocent bystander. And how and far have we come unfold. since, you know, not that long ago where the top spec Lambo had an ancient V12 in it? Mm. Yeah. You know, yeah, wow. absolutely. Yeah. So, as the top spec model, but it gives you a little bit of heart that this Valkyrie engine, built by Cosworth, by the way, yeah. um, is naturally aspirated. That yeah. so much is turbo. It's going to be a hybrid, but a naturally aspirated V twelve hybrid. That's extraordinary. Yeah. Yep. Looking mm, forward to it. Definitely. Definitely. Uh, but Very look, talking about extraordinary vehicles, it's time for a word from our sponsor. Life's a journey, and for over a century, Winton's been helping Australians enjoy the ride. Behind the wheel of a Winton, you're comfortably in control of the most efficient, enjoyable and brilliantly engineered car in the world. In fact, from class-leading luxury and performance cars to light trucks, heavy haulers and agricultural equipment, all supported by our no-haggle, lifetime warranty and industry-leading service, Winton covers all the bases. Winton, Australian with a world of difference. So, okay, the new Formula E season kicks off this weekend in Saudi Arabia and Winton is on board and the development team has exploited every loophole in the Gen 2 uh, regulations. The Winton Shocker is powered by an electric motor from the beer fridge in Frosty's office (laughs) Uh, and attack mode is brutal, even lethal. Um, and the halo device has to be seen to be believed. People watching on YouTube, you'll see a picture of the shocker. It's quite a car. Uh, forget Audi, BMW, Nissan, Jag, Porsche. Frosty says they're all losers and set for major embarrassment as the season unfolds. So I, for one, am thrilled to see Winton involved in Formula E. <laughs> shocking in name, shocking in name. The shocker. Yeah. I haven't seen shocker. the pic everyone's looking yeah, at, but I'm visualising Mad You Max. can just see Frosty 
in the car. It's during testing. Okay. Uh, it's fabulous. So, yeah, keep an eye out for it. Terrific. Now, Matt, the, uh, the question du jour, mm. and it's one we were discussing in the office earlier in the week, was Lexus because you've recently been in a particular Lexus and yes. it just opened up the broader topic of where that brand has been and where it's going. Yeah, yeah. So this week I spent a little bit of time in the IS300, which used to be called the IS200T, um, but they changed name just cause. Because they don't um, like the T. Yeah, apparently not. Um, or the 200. So it's the it's yeah. the turbocharged <laughs> two-litre engine. So 200T made a lot of sense. 300, you might think three-litre, but... That's not the case. Yeah. Um, anyway, it it got to I got to thinking, what's it supposed to be like? Yeah. yeah. It, and I I think that allowed about um, the i the Lexus range. You know, there's a few models in there where I go, I don't really know what this is supposed to be. Yeah. Um, it's not being. You know, I'm not saying that they don't have a place in the market and that there aren't buyers for those cars, but I don't know whether. The IS three hundred, for example, does enough of a job of being cushy and luxury, or enough of a job of being performance and speedy and enjoyable, yeah. um, to compete generally in that segment. Because, for instance, it's a two liter turbo with one hundred and eighty kilowatts and three hundred and fifty newton meters, so good outputs. Yep. But it's teamed to a gearbox that's very much efficiency focused, mm, constant, constantly changing up to save fuel. So you're constantly pressing harder on the throttle and not really enjoying the experience as much as you could. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't do efficiency well enough to justify that. It's 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 really uh, kind of symptomatic, I suspect, of Lexus still sorting out. Um, and we're talking; they've been around for. 89, nearly 30 years. Uh, It's symptomatic of still sorting out what actually is Lexus. Because to me, it says a couple of years ago, Akio Toyota, head of the whole place, asked exactly the same question. More or less walked in the room and said, okay, Lexus, tell me all about yourself. What What are you up to? What have you been doing? Why do you exist? And they've gone, well, we were created to make a luxury car that was going to out Merck, Merck and out BMW, BMW and be amazing quality and sell well in America. And we did that. Isn't that great? He goes, yeah. And what are you now? And they look back at him and just go, well, I don't know. We kind of, we did that. And yeah. then we've just been doing other cars ever since. And he said, well, what's going to make you different? And they came up with design. So it's going to be a distinctive uh, design that sets us apart and people are going to be attracted to our cars because of the way they look and feel. And I don't know whether that panned. I don't know whether that's distinctive out for them. design, yeah. and then there's appealing design. Because that mm. that brings your spindle grill, this yeah. distinctive feature that all Lexuses now seem to follow. Yes, but you do have such a diverse model range, seemingly without any unifying theme. You know, mm. you have from the grill. You've had the LFA, which was the a fabulous supercar with what's commonly referred to as the best road-going engine ever. Funny, we were just talking about the Valkyrie, but, you yeah. know, amazing engine. Mm. Down to a, um, was it IS, the hybrid? like the Prius? No, CT200H. CT200H, CT, yeah. Prius sort of, but Lexus-fired. Yep. And then you've got luxury SUVs, you've got the LS, and you've got the LX. Yeah, That's the big one, so isn't it? So LX is the big SUV, the LS Land is the Cruiser, big sedan. That yeah. is just big and kind of... Old. Cool. So yeah. you kind of makes you think what 
role does Lexus play in the mm. bigger automotive ecosystem? You know, where, where does it sit? It's, it's, I think it's a demonstration that it takes a long time to build a brand that yeah. people aspire to own. Yeah, yeah, yeah it does. Uh, we, we, Genesis we, and, and uh, Infinity are, you know, in the earlier stages. Because we, without now, for some time, Toyota, for example, has not had the car that appeals to an older, pretty cashed-up conservative buyer which used to be filled by things like a Cressida or, you know, days gone past, a Crown or, yeah. or some kind of primo Toyota. So in a way, Lexus, yes, it's competing with the big players in the upper luxury segment, but it's also playing a companion role for Toyota. Yep. So some of the mid-weight models in the Lexus range more or less fill the kind of old Orion now becomes a Camry V6, there's that, but there's also, I could get into a, you know, a mid-range Lexus. Yeah. So when you get in the car... It feels very Japanese luxury. It feels Toyota but premium. It's not to everybody's taste, mm. uh, but maybe there's a bit of that in there as well. I feel the the bean, bean counters have uh, kicked in earlier than they should have. In that, you know, the IS lacks a lot of the, the advanced uh, construction technology that you get in a C class or a three series or an A four. It's a pretty heavy car, mm-hmm. uh, so all this calibration of the two liter engine is trying to sort of counteract that weight that it's. You know, yes. Whereas someone like Mercedes has the best transmission, the best engine, sure, the best body, and the new three series sounds pretty special as well. Mm. But uh, all at once the, yeah. to justify that price and to justify that heritage of C class and three series, which feels like, if as you say, Matt, there's a, a really terrific, enthusiastic engine mm-hmm. that's backed up by a transmission that's been built with a different purpose in mind. It causes you to think, well, who's in charge, right? Who, who's yeah. steering the ship? Are we building luxury performance cars? Are we building economical, efficient cars? Are we building cars that are great by design, that are going to appeal to people? Where, you know, is it the well, bean counters that are running the show? Mm. Is it the engineers, the marketers? For me, uh, I think any, any Lexus that's good in my head is a Lexus that's got either a V6 engine or a V8 engine. They're the two ones that stand out most for me, like a, an RCF, for example, or an IS350 with the V6 engine, for example. They're both much more enjoyable and involving cars to drive because they've got better drivetrains. These other drivetrains, I mean, putting hybrid aside for a second, the hybrid systems are good and efficient and proven, but you know they're not enjoyable. Mm. Um, and then there's the 2-litre the turbo, which... You know, I think a lot of us expected when Lexus finally did this two-litre turbo that it had been talking about for years and applied it across a range of different models, including the IS and the NX and the RX, um, that it would be... And the GS. And the GS. And maybe it would be a bit better than it was. But it just, it's been a bit, I don't know, a bit of a dud for and, me. And also, do you feel that there are certain cars in segments that are there just because Lexus feels they should be there yeah. rather than they've come from some oh, really enthusiastic and ge- energetic place that says we're going to you know, build a great car. Yeah. yeah? You know, ultimately, the CT's been up against the, the arrival of the A-Class, yeah. Yeah. You know, the one series, two generations of one series. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and if there was a car that would, that would suit a two-litre turbo engine, a CT could be a really good candidate. Yeah. But now we've got the new UX yep. compact SUV, which yep. is just arriving in Australia. Seems like the, the right car for right now. Yep. Brand new platform. Yep. New uh, engines, no yep. two-litre turbo. Mm. Um, don't know about that. But, right. yeah, just it's it's a weird one. I think Lexus, they're, 
Is design enough? Maybe not. Yeah, maybe not. It, it, is it enough to actually give you that everybody's heading in the same direction, this is what we're driving for kind of thinking? Yeah. Mm. Because it seems a bit sporadic and that there are uh, seemingly things working at odds here and there. Yeah, yeah. I, I, but then again, I can't wait to drive the UX because yep. I expect it to be pretty good. Great. So. Yep. It's arriving very shortly. Well, too. it would be great to hear from our listeners and viewers yeah. and see what they make Alexis and and just join in uh, that conversation because yeah, uh, and try and think beyond. You know, is it a is it a decent alternative to a Mercedes or BMW or Audi? Yeah. You know, is it a decent brand? Yes. Yeah. Is it is it in that world, or is it also serving the purpose of somewhere for people who want a premium Japanese luxury car, i.e. Toyota buyers mm. offering them somewhere to go as well. Yeah. Mm. And then you've got the emergence of Mazda as a semi-premium or premium offering in some mm. instances. I mean, some of the Mazdas that you can buy these days are in the $70,000 range. Yeah, so, definitely. Um, mm. With real wood and Napa leather. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Straight from the Napa Valley. Mm. <laughs> They've got cows grazing in with all the grapes. That's where I thought it was goat leather. But that's goat okay. leather. Yeah, right. yeah. Will, look... <laughs> Sports luxury, we are about to blow a gasket on this one because mm-hmm. now Ooh, yes. you've unearthed um, a... It's on Instagram, yes? It's so it's not necessarily our gasket to blow. Yeah, right. But I've, I've identified... Oh, it kind of is, actually. Okay. <coughs> well, number four... I've identified it. what I consider to be a rather controversial opinion. Okay. Uh, which was uh, has been projected by the illustrious Stephen Corby, our contributor. Yep. Uh, now, last night, I think it was, he posted a photo of the New Z4... Uh, which was on show at the LA Motor Show. That's a BMW sports car roadster. Indeed. And the LA Motor Show was only a couple of weeks ago, wasn't it? If you don't know what a Z4 is, people might not know what a Z4 is because there's not many of them. Good point. Corby's a bit slow on the Instagram too, but, Mm. you know, he's getting there. Wow. Uh, Wow. (laughs) Well, he's only posted it yesterday. Sorry, Corby. Instagram. Anyway. (laughs) Instagram. Uh, he's posted a photo of the Z4 and said, is it just me or does this thing look surprisingly awesome and much better than any Z4 afore it? Right. Uh, now, I thought I'd jump on this. And Go for it. I said, wait for it. It's you. Time to eat more carrots. <laughs> uh, but then Peter Anderson, another illustrious contributor, has yep. jumped in for an argument as he doesn't mind doing. He's uh, wanted to jump in for an argument. He said, Stephen is correct. <laughs> and Stephen said, I knew it. Yes. And I said, bet you love the second and third gen SLKs too. That's Mercedes, everybody. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Sengon Chiron. But it's a classic case of just subjectivity, isn't it? You know, it is. these cars are always going to strike different people different ways. Yeah. Definitely. Steve loves it. You don't. It sounds like James is going to sit on the fence on this one. No, no, totally not going to sit on the fence. I, I think it's you know been hit with the ugly stick pretty, oh, pretty <laughs> strongly in the front. See, this is it, it's great. Because this is why I brought it into this room. I, th- I think it's actually a pretty attractive car. Do you? Um, because it's to me, it's it's like a shrunken version of the new eight series. Yeah. In in terms of its aggression, it's yep. it's but and it doesn't do that thing that BMW's been doing with the grill in recent times where it goes, hey, you know that space between the headlights? We need to make that massive well, and what? have this huge grill. Well, it's well, it's kind of huge. It's a little bit flatter. It's flatter but... and smaller and more. It's more streamlined. Well, the, the X cars, the bigger you go in their X cars, yeah. you know, you, oh, X7. the X7 grill <laughs> is like someone's been playing with Photoshop, Some, but it's actually the, it's real. It's the, the size kidneys of... would be really good for processing kidney duties. Uh, <laughs> yes, the kidney grill. It's massive. There's, an, there's some kind of illness there that's causing these kidneys to so, just expand. So, yeah. 
So, Matt, you think the Shrunken 8 series thing is effective. That's what I see is being wrong with it. Like, I think the, the old SLKs suffered from, let's whack, you know, Vision SLR, uh, sorry, uh, McLaren SLR and SL uh, themes into this much smaller body, build as many design t- details into it as possible. Mm. But it's thrown the proportions out of whack, whereas I think you need a bit more restraint with a smaller convert. I think it's one of those ones where I'm, I'm probably the last person to ever decry the arrival of a new sports-focused car. No, I think definitely. that's fabulous. And, but, and I can certainly see how people might really warm to it and love it. It's just not my cup of tea. Yeah, That's yeah. all. That's the way it goes. Can I add to it? I'm extraordinarily grateful for its existence because it's bringing us the Supra. Yeah, well, that's too. That too. Absolutely. It's without a, it, you know, be co-production. No yeah. Yeah. I don't know about the look of the Supra. Hey. Well, we've only seen a little narrow view of it in the back of a truck this week. Yes, yeah. but it's got a bit of a proboscis monkey <laughs> sort of. I don't know. I don't know because you can't see it. It's only yeah. been in camo, so it's just in, invisible. Yeah. You can't even. <laughs> who knows? Who knows what it looks oh, like? Secrets. It could look like it's these set Could've of like wheels just Plymouth moving Fury around. You can't see the body. Or a Peterbilt truck. Yep. <laughs> who knows? Absolutely right. Or any number of. It doesn't look these. like a Peterbilt truck. That's a promise. <laughs> it's got a, a nose almost as big as a Peterbilt truck. It anyway, does. But all right. So that's that's fantastic. Now speaking <sighs> of blown. cars that are worth driving. Just over the other side of the shed, we've got you know our parking area. Did you so, turn the lights out? No, they're on one of those automatic sensor, okay, sensor good, things. Got to save energy, which is a bit spooky, but yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. It's all right. We've got to save energy. So, speaking of saving energy, Matt, mm. you've been in something that uses up a heck of a lot of natural resources <laughs> to actually create it, uh, yes. let alone the running of it. Tell yeah. us all about it. So, I've been in the Volkswagen Crafter. It's a very, very large van. The version we've got is the long wheelbase, which comes with a high roof, uh, and it is massive. The the wheelbase goes from one postcode to another, (laughs) even when you're in the middle, the town centre. You know, it's enormous. You could fit a Volkswagen Passat in between the wheels, pretty much. Yeah, and play basketball inside it. Yes, I can. Like I'm six foot tall, I can stand up with room above my head quite comfortably. And I could lay down probably three of me in the back of it. It is massive. So, so nose head to toe, yeah. three of you yeah. along the load space. Yes. Wow. It is huge. Are you moving any giraffes? Uh, not moving giraffes, but okay. um, you know It'd there is to a, be sedated though. You know there it? is a company it called. Like I mean, there's headroom, and then there's headroom. <laughs> I'm no giraffe specialist, Jamie. You know there's a company called Giraffe Removals, and I've always no. wondered. If they, they, if they actually giraffes. removed giraffes. That maybe that's job? where they got their start because and realised, hmm, that's, that's, that's not a volume home, business. Not but when you called in limited. to move a giraffe, oh, oh, yeah. so, you know, the one bucks. job it's... could carry you on for a couple of years. <laughs> like the uh, the old piano tax. Yeah, yes. yeah. Anyway, so the reason I am getting a Volkswagen van is because I am moving. But, giraffes. Um, <laughs> You're moving house. That's I'm right. moving house. Yeah. Um, so it fell in that we needed some uh, some content on this car. And it's it's one that I haven't driven yet. And I love to drive all the commercial vans. I've also got a Sprinter at the same time. Um, and as you may know... That being the Mercedes for those That's right, the Mercedes home. Sprinter. Uh, yeah. You may know that Mercedes Sprinter and Volkswagen Crafter used to be a coalition vehicle, yeah. but not anymore. Is the Sprinter of the same scale as a Crafter? Yes. Like it's a big box like that big is? Big vehicle. Same category. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, but but the, it used to be like Ranger and BT50. Yeah. Same yeah. underneath the skin, so you can different get, styling. You can get a Sprinter in... Uh, rear-wheel drive and front-wheel drive, and there'll be all-wheel drive as well. At the moment, you can only get a front-wheel drive crafter. 
but you can get them as vans. Giant, long wheelbase, high roof crafter is front wheel drive. drive. Yep. But this, you know, if you're using it as a work vehicle, let's face it, that's its purpose. Yep. Um, There's something very satisfying about being able to stand upright easily in the back and have your shelving and space for all of that or racks or whatever it is you use and just have tons of space. Payoff there is, or the, the balance is, that you've got to navigate with an enormous vehicle. Exactly. But it is very <laughs> practical in that Low-hanging bridges. Yeah. 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 Trees. I, did, I did have to think about how tall I was when I was driving it yesterday. I didn't want to go through an underpass that might rip You just the told can us you're six it. feet tall. Yeah. No, how, how tall the car was, the vehicle was, I should say. Because you didn't want to break the internet. Right. Anyway, that's viral. enough about the craft. That's good. Mal? Mal. Uh, I've dr- a couple of weeks ago. You've been now, charged up, you but I missed last week's podcast. I drove the Jaguar I Pace at its Australian launch, which will be a competitor for the production version of the Shocker once uh, Winton <laughs> yep. gets so its I've got an inside word. Yeah. So Frosty and I are exchanging notes. Cool as we speak. Now I've driven yep. the I Pace, which is the first electric-only premium branded product to hit. Conventional premium, which sounds like a lot of qualifiers, but uh, in a nutshell, they've beaten Mercedes, they've beaten Porsche, they've technically beaten BMW, even though they had the pure EV uh, i3 in 2014. But uh, this is were they the aced by first Audi? of did, many more did, cars. Did Audi get in front of them? Etron as well. Etron, sorry. yeah. No, yeah. they've beaten uh, Audi to, to yep. the Australian market. Yep. Um, and it's it's kind of fresh thinking from a company that is in the past has been traditionally a bit um, traditional in its yeah. styling <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Uh, uh, modes of uh, you know propulsion. Uh, pure electric, same electric motor on the front and rear axles. Um, yeah. It starts at $119,000, which Do you is know, reasonable. Now, what's its um, you know, real-world range? 470. 470, that's on the pretty WTLP. good. WTLP. Wow. Which is the new uh, standard and a bit more real world than is what it? we've had before. Yeah. That's a lot of Ks. Yeah. That's pretty good, yeah? Yeah. But is it, is it like you drove the Ionic, the yeah. Hyundai Ionic, yeah. which has 230, 230. real yeah. world? Was that WTLP, the Ionic rate? This was a real world test that had been conducted actually in Australia. So it was to, to give a figure okay. that he, we went out, I think it was nine cycles of the battery. Okay, so it's and over thousands impressive. of Ks, yeah, locally. Okay, so we can't necessarily so, compare the two. No. Okay, but theoretically, let's say it's $120,000 starting price for mm. an iPace and $45,000 for For the electric? Ionic. Yeah, something like that. So, <laughs> I mean... Bring you, it. You've got to be pretty convinced <laughs> by the iPace to want to spend that much money on that yeah. sort of car, right? Yeah, for yeah pe- of course. For people not it's watching the classic on YouTube, Hyundai versus uh, premium went product. Beyonce. Sorry. I went all, oh, oh. You went all Beyonce then. Again, yeah. sorry. Did First time this podcast. You oh. go, girl. <laughs> Thanks, sister. Um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, yes. Yeah, so I, I, I mean, I think early adopters are willing to spend more money. I don't know that... I think I, this world is full of all sorts of different types of early adopters. Yeah. And there's all sorts of customers, and there's all sorts of cars for different customers. Mm, we are the world. It is expensive, though. Yeah. I, don't, I don't care if you think it's affordable or it's relatively, reasonable. Relatively, I see. $120,000. Yeah, and you miss out on a few car. things like adaptive cruise control, blind spot. Assist. What? Yeah. Okay. You miss out on that? Yeah. You're yeah, kidding. Yeah, yeah. I can Yuck. feel the heat in the Mark room. You've got to get an SE for that. Matt started clenching his fists. Anyway, real Under world. The table. I'll, I'll be driving it 
on the highway for an extended period of time in the coming weeks. Fabulous. So more to come. Take on that, that WTLP. I'm going to give it a red hot. Crack. All right. So tell us, you know, podcast listeners, what you reckon? What'd you say? Hundred hundred. How much? Um, $120,000. $120,000. One starting one price. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, List. let's hear. Let's hear what people make of that. Yeah. yeah. Before on roads. Yeah. yeah. James, have you been driving anything interesting? I have. I've been driving something interesting because it's at the same time familiar but uh, and also new in that it's a CX-5 uh, Mazda uh, yeah. with the new turbocharged 2.5-litre four-cylinder engine. So I, for one, have taken my hat off to Mazda for its Skyactiv milking the last pieces of efficiency that it can get out of a, a naturally aspirated engine. Mm-hmm. And now they've moved to a turbo engine. And what that says to me is it's going to be a very good turbo because they've already got a basis that's efficient um, from which to work. Mm-hmm. And the thing that you realise in driving this car, and it's the top spec Akira, it's an all-wheel drive. I think you're getting up into the like high 40s mm-hmm. uh, for this car. So it's not it's not cheap. But the engine is great. It's made a really big difference to the day-to-day urban-type driving that people will typically be doing in this car. So Which is it, what it was intended to do. Yeah. That's what they did when they put it in six nine. Yep. So it's had the desired effect, as far mm. as I can see. Yep. You just ease it away from rest and ease into the throttle, and it just takes off. There's no effort. It's really smooth. Which is very. Nicely. That's very different to what you get in a in a two liter or a two point five liter non turbo CX five yeah. because yeah. there is a bit of a a strained feeling and yeah. a bit of a whiny sort of. It it totally shovels you need, some you need torque revs. into that hole yeah. and fills it beautifully. Yeah. I reckon great. it's it's just like what we all grew up loving about straight six Falcons and V six Commodores and, and even. You know, even before that, the straight six Holdens. You're speaking for all of us here, Mel. Well, you Australia just, collectively got on the okay, front foot. Straight six Mercedes as well, James. You liked, you liked. Anyway, sorry. Well, collective. Uh, it's <laughs> fair to say Australia liked talky engines. <laughs> True. When that we la- made cars, that lazy response yeah. uh, off the line. That's yeah. absolutely right, and that's what this car feels like. So I take your point. Um, it just smoothly goes wherever you want it to. No strain, no mm-hmm. stress. The thing I have noticed, uh, maybe it's just this uh, spec. Um, and my wife is the canary in the coal mine for this kind of stuff. The ride, the ride is pretty firm, and yeah. the, the damping feels inappropriate um, really? for Australian roads. It was quite jittery. That wow. secondary kind of characteristic is yeah. feeling that they've tweaked it and tweaked it and tweaked, and they tweaked it. Anyway, it again for this update. Yeah. yeah. So look, but it's still got the biggest wheels, isn't it? That it yeah. So it's on big rims, mm. uh, but it was just. My experience this time around is that's how the car feels, I've got to say. Really right. interesting. Yeah. So great engine, but it just would get on your nerves, I reckon. Maybe it's the short wheelbase and the high body. Could be. And lack, of, six, five. lack of adaptive dampers. It, feel, well, it just I feels think. a bit bouncy. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it does. Shame. Oh, well. All right. Well, that, um, that multinational guru that we mentioned earlier, oh, it's boy. time to catch up with what he's been doing in Musquatch. Right, so the big news is 60 Minutes last weekend, Elon, Elon made an, an appearance. Now, this is US oh, um, 60 Minutes. Okay. Um, and Serious one. During it, he was keen to point out that contrary to popular opinion, he is not a puppet being kind of, you know, on the end of the strings from the new chair, Robin Denholm, who is Aussie. an Australian person. Aussie Robin. Going over there to be chairman of Telstra. 
But uh, the 60 Minutes presenter, Leslie Stahl, I'm not familiar with Leslie's work, it is a, a woman rather man for those who care about that kind of stuff, asked Elon if somebody at the company was reviewing his Twitter messages before they went out because it was a requirement of his and Tesla's settlement with the SEC in the US that that happened. Yep. Uh, Musk said, look, the only tweets that would have to be reviewed would be if a tweet had a, prob- a probability, pardon me, of causing a movement in the stock. Otherwise, it's, hello, First Amendment, freedom of speech is fundamental. So he was up there on his soapbox. To which she said, uh, but how do they know if it's going to move the market if they're not reading all of them before you send them? Yeah. And he said, I guess we might make some mistakes. Who knows? And she just laughed. <laughs> she just Like, are you serious? Yeah. So that's what's happening. No one's checking uh, most of the Twitters. Yeah. Musk then got much more serious good news for and us. said, I want to be clear. I do not respect the SEC. I do not respect them. Wow. Mm. He Brazen. doesn't mince words. He doesn't mince words. But that, I mean, that's, I think that anything he tweets, anything, could move could move absolutely yeah. yeah this week he did six tweets versus last week he did two two yeah. that alone so on yeah. the basis of that little exchange it would appear that all of his tweets are not being vetted that he still has access to the the phone and he's <laughs> getting on there and speaking his mind as you say Matt yeah. very much uh, calls a spade a shovel and yeah we'll see what transpires but according to the financial post quote Elon Musk is getting the last laugh on Wall Street after Tesla's wild 2018. And what they're saying is the Tesla stock is now back near the highs it reached on the day of the infamous funding secured uh, tweet yep. about taking the company private that caused such a furious rally before actually sending it um, downward and he got into trouble with the SEC, etc. And Wall Street is actually, according to the Financial Post, bullish, expecting Tesla to be profitable in the fourth quarter. So it'll be two quarters of profitable operation. And it would show the companies figured out how to produce cars at a stable pace and make money while doing it. So what is that pace, James? That stable pace? It's a great, pace. great point, Matt. Is it Thank still you for asking. well below what it's supposed to be? So, look, the Bloomberg Have Model we got 3 production tracker, yet? which has been our yardstick, consistent yardstick, um, through all of the last 12 months. It's at 4306, down 83 on last week. 16th week in a row under 5,000. But does that say that, look, 4,000 might be enough. You know, 4,000 to 4,500, that's enough to give them... And they're selling Model S's and X's and the truck's coming and all that stuff. That might be the number. He may have just been guilty of overstating and overpromising, but the business is benefiting from a relatively stable production number on its mass volume car. 4,000 a week is still pretty low Well, for a mass market model aimed at... You know, international markets, not just North America. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think deliveries are obviously struggling to get out there to people in other markets. Yeah. Mm. Time will, as always, time will tell. But you'd have to say that between Christmas time 2017 and Christmas 2018, there was like a washing machine vortex style yeah. mess that now is sort of somehow slowly sorting itself out. Yeah. And a second quarter of profit would be a massive statement, you know, that things are on the right track, quite obviously. But we'll see. Yeah, Anything's we possible because he's free to just get the thumbs <laughs> working. certainly keep us posted. <laughs> okay. With that, we have reached 
the finish line. Thank you, Matt. G'day. Thank and you, thank bye. you, Mel. And thank you, James. Thanks to our producer, Mr. Pritchard. A refreshing change from Marsden. You know, Marsden's <laughs> yeah. not really stupid. He just has bad luck when he thinks. <laughs> um, and thank you for listening. Please get in touch and make this a two-way conversation. In fact, we've had Roto Ihu uh, say to us about the Sangyong Rexton was having a look at uh, that story on, on YouTube and said, great to see the man who did a voiceover for the Winton Motor Company has got another gig. <laughs> Go, Australia. So, well done, Crafty. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and we've had a couple of comments from Hammer Rocks, who is a listener to the podcast, quite obviously, but a regular one. And thank you, he says, re- with regard to our blowing a gasket from last week on the electric Aston Martin yes. DB6, yep. he's firmly of the view that, quote, Aston Martin should just leave their classic cars alone. Removing the original engine is like removing someone's heart and replacing it with a mechanical one. It might work just as well and will last a lot longer, but you'd still wish you had your original heart. Right. So he's seeing it as a synthetic, you know, you can't replace the real thing. So fair enough. Thank you, Hammer Rocks. Yep. And he also put us straight from some comments we'd made back in episode 56 when we were talking about Acadia. Yep. And we were talking about what GMC actually stood for. So he told us that it's an acronym for General... I said it might be General Motors Canada. Yeah. Totally wrong, Um, (laughs) obviously. Uh, He said it it is a shortened name for General Motors Truck Company. So it's just the GMC out of GMTC. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so there you go. And yet they think it's a premium brand. Anyway. But so to have your say, just like Roto Ihu and Hammer Rocks, make sure that you go to Cars Guide on Facebook and Instagram and use the tag at CG Podcast or email us at comments at carsguide.com.au. You can listen to and watch us on iTunes and YouTube. Uh, and please rate and review us. It definitely helps other people find uh, the podcast. Yeah, tell them, mate. I hope you can join us next week. Until then, what's the difference between a Lada Samara and a golf ball? You can drive a golf ball 200 metres. <laughs> I'll see myself out. Yeah. <laughs> Bye. Poor Samara. <laughs>